Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a merciful God who saves all who cry out to you. Help me now to preach your word faithfully and clearly. And through your word, remind us of our desperate need for salvation, that we may turn to you for mercy and experience your steadfast love for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a common experience that people only turn to God when they're desperate. When trouble strikes, their first instinct is to try and solve the problem themselves or get others to help. Only when all else fails do they turn to God. Uh, John Newton, who wrote that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, he was involved in the slave trade before he became a Christian. One day he tells how his ship was caught in a horrendous storm. Uh, it almost sank. And in desperation, Newton prayed to God. Miraculously, the cargo shifted uh, to fill a hole on the ship's hull and the vessel drifted to safety. Newton became a Christian. Then when life is going well, we can easily become complacent and self-sufficient, thinking that, well, we're in control of our life. Everything's fine. And so for many of us, just like John Newton, it's only when disaster strikes, when we're desperate, that we turn to God for help. When we lose our job, when we fail an exam, when we experience a relationship breakdown, when we get a bad diagnosis. What about you this morning? Have you recognized your desperate need for salvation? Are you depending on Jesus? Or are you just depending on yourself? Well, last week we saw that God is the sovereign God who rules over all the nations, and we saw the futility of trying to run away from God. God will come in judgment wherever we run. Instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah had tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, taking a ship in the opposite direction, but he soon found out he could not escape as God hurled a huge storm that threatened the life of all the crew. And we saw that the only hope of escaping God's terrifying judgment uh, was to call upon God for mercy, like the sailors did. We can't save ourselves, neither can lifeless idols. We need to plead for God's mercy. And chapter 1 ended with the sailors receiving God's salvation and Jonah thrown overboard to his imminent death. Well, we read what happened in one, chapter 1 verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And God shows incredible mercy to Jonah. He deserved to go down to his death, but God instead decides to show him mercy. He rescues him in the most unlikely of means, in the belly of a fish. And why does God save Jonah? Why does Jonah receive such incredible mercy that he doesn't deserve? Well, the answer to those questions is in chapter 2. We see that God is the saving Lord who is full of steadfast love to all who bring to him their desperate cry for mercy. So that brings us to point one this morning, Jonah's desperate prayer. Jonah's desperate prayer. This prayer is full of language from the Psalms. Obviously, Jonah knew God's word well, and he uses it in his prayer. Mature prayer is like that. Verse 1, 
then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And Sheol, that was the place where people go when they die under the judgment of God. But God hears Jonah's desperate prayer. God rescues him. Uh, verse 3, he recounts again what happened. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over, over me. Jonah was as good as dead, covered by the waters of death, drifting down to the heart of the earth. Then verse 4, I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your temple. Jonah ran from God's presence, but as he sinks to his death, he realizes that separation from God's presence means certain death. Of course, that is what makes hell so bad. Hell is being away from the presence of the Lord, cut off from his goodness and love eternally. But as Jonah prays, he finds hope. He may again look on God's temple. He may again be in his presence. And in verses 5 to 7, that hope is fulfilled as God rescues Jonah from death. Verse 5, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. It's a very poetic way of him describing him sinking down to the bottom of the ocean. We've seen since chapter 1, uh, since Jonah decided to reject God's word, his journey has been one of down, down, down. He went down to Tarshish, down to the boat, down to the inner parts of the boat. He lay down to sleep. He was thrown down into the waters. And now he goes down to death. And the book of Jonah teaches us that disobedience to God only leads one direction, down. And if we persist, it will lead down to death. And yet Jonah also teaches us that such is the mercy of God that if we turn to him at, at any point in that downward journey, he is more than ready to save again at verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. The moment Jonah prayed, God answered. Just like with the sailors, the moment they prayed, God answered, God saved them. Jonah prays and God saves. Now, why does God save Jonah? He obviously doesn't deserve it. He, dis, uh, he deliberately disobeyed God. He persistently disobeyed God. Why? God saves Jonah because that is the kind of God that he is. He is the God of amazing grace who shows mercy to the undeserving. Now, this episode should remind us of the thief next to Jesus on the cross. Remember, he, he was a wicked sinner he was being crucified for his evil right there next to Jesus. He'd done absolutely nothing to deserve God's love. And he had no time to go to church or to give money or to do anything else for God in return. 
All he did on the cross was cry out to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And God heard his prayer. Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. God is the merciful God who forgives sinners. God is the merciful God who saves people even on their deathbed. God is the merciful God who sends his son to rescue guilty sinners. If only we will turn to him. Well, that brings us to point two. Jonah's saving Lord. Jonah's saving Lord. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And here we have a wonderful statement of who God is. God is the God of steadfast love. He's the God who loves to forgive. But this verse is also a reminder that we can lose God's love by rejecting him, by turning to idols. They're called vain idols here because they're dead. They they cannot move, they cannot talk, they, they cannot save, they cannot love. And yet, of course, our hearts are idol factories. Uh, constantly being drawn away from the true God to worship and serve other things apart from him. They, they, they may be physical idols, the kind of idols that we find in temples. They may be shrines to our ancestors. They, but they may be things uh, like money or approval or power or comfort. We may idolize money or a career or a relationship or an achievement. Uh, Anything that we look to for salvation, for hope, for joy, for satisfaction, for security. Anything that we we fear or love or serve above and apart from the true God. That's our idol. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah reminds us, nothing in this world is so worth having that we lose the steadfast love of God. He is the giver of all things. In his hand is eternal life and eternal death. If there is anything that you are tempted to love more than Jesus, put it in its rightful place. Put it under Jesus' rule. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus first. As the Lord of your life. Because we're promised here, if we if we will, we will experience the steadfast love of the Lord. He will save us from his judgment, even though we don't deserve it. Because that is the kind of God he is. The saving Lord. The God of steadfast love. Well, how does Jonah respond to this great salvation that he receives? Well, just like the sailors, he vows to serve the Lord from now on. Look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, in response to his salvation, Jonah is full of thanks and praise to God. And he vows to live for him from now on. That's that's so right, isn't it? If God has been so loving and 
in saving us from judgment, saving us from death, then of course our lives now belong to him. Of course we should be thankful and use our lives for his service and for his glory. Jonah's psalm ends with that climactic statement, the very central message of this book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, it means that God alone is the one who can save. The sailors couldn't save themselves. Their gods couldn't save them. Jonah couldn't save himself. The Ninevites couldn't save themselves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is God's decision. Salvation is a gift of God's grace, which he gives in his love to those who will cry out to him for mercy. Well, in verse 10, Jonah's salvation is complete. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah is saved miraculously and mercifully by the God whom he had rejected, the God from whom he had been running. Well, how does this passage apply to us? Well, before we answer that question, we must first ask, how is this passage fulfilled by Jesus? Now, we saw last week that Jonah is a type of Christ, is a picture foreshadowing Jesus, and we'll only apply it rightly if we first see how it applies to him. Remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so would the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus sees himself as the greater Jonah, someone who's like Jonah, but better. See, like Jonah nearly died under the judgment of God, so Jesus, well, he did die as he bore God's judgment on our sin. Like Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so Jesus would spend three days and three nights in the grave. As Jonah was rescued by God and raised up to life, so Jesus was rescued on the third day and given new life. See, what happened to Jonah prefigures what would happen to Jesus, the one greater than Jonah. So just as we see in the salvation of Jonah, the the love and the mercy of God to sinful people, so we see in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the perfect expression of God's grace and love. Salvation belongs to the Lord. To the Lord Jesus Christ. He died. He rose. That any who cry out to him for mercy may live. It's only through Jesus that we can experience the steadfast love of the Lord. Let us then apply this passage to ourselves, asking three questions. Firstly, have you recognised your desperate state? Have you recognised your desperate state? See, like Jonah, our sin is leading us on a path down to death. Apart from God's grace, we too are headed to eternal judgment, destined to be cut off from God's presence, 
and, and spend eternity in that place of conscious torment that Jesus called hell. And we must understand our desperate state. And we must understand that we cannot save ourselves. Our good works, our religious acts, that they can't make up for the things that we've done. As Ephesians 2 says, we are dead in sin. We are children of wrath. We're in a desperate situation and we're unable to rescue ourselves. I wonder if you remember that famous parable from Jesus of the tax collector and the sinner. Uh, Luke 18, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. See, this Pharisee, he's self-righteous, isn't it? He, he, he thinks that because he's so moral, so good, so religious, that he can earn his way into heaven through his good works. How wrong he is. Now, the tax collector could not be more different. Told in verse 13, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector, he, he recognises his desperate state. He recognises he can't help himself. And so he does the only thing that he could do. He cries out to God for mercy. And Jesus ends the parable declaring it was this man, the tax collector, who went home to his house justified rather than the other. It was the tax collector who cried to God for mercy, who went home right with God. And Jesus is teaching us that the, the first step to salvation is to realize that you cannot save yourself. You cannot earn your way. Have you recognized your desperate state? Have you recognized that you cannot get to heaven on your own? If you haven't, then please don't leave it until it's too late. Turn to Jesus while you still can. Pray to him, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He will forgive you. For know that there, there will be a time when it's too late. If you die or Jesus returns before you turn to him, don't leave it. Well, secondly, have you experienced God's steadfast love? Have you experienced God's steadfast love? Now, through his salvation, Jonah experiences the steadfast love and mercy of God. And that's the same for us. As, as we receive God's salvation in Christ, we experience the depths of God's love for us. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So the death and resurrection of Jesus proclaims to us how much God loves us. Even though we were undeserving sinners, Jesus died on the cross for us. That is such amazing love, isn't it? I think sometimes we, uh, we doubt God's love and we face difficult 
circumstances, when we lose a loved one, when we're anxious or depressed, and we begin to think, if, if God loved me, why would he let this happen to me? But we can be sure that God loves us. Because God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us on the cross. We were on a path to eternal judgment in hell. And God didn't have to save us. God could have given us what we deserve. But because he is rich in mercy, because of his steadfast love, because of his grace, he gave us what we didn't deserve. You see, Jesus died and rules so that our story can be just like Jonah's. A story of salvation from death to life, saved by the sheer grace and love of God. Because that's who he is. So look at what happened to Jonah. And look at what happened to Jesus. And see that that is what God has done for you. He's taken you from death to life because of his love. Know for sure God will always love you. Nothing in all creation will separate you from God's love in Christ. So have you recognised your desperate state? Have you experienced God's steadfast love? Finally, have you offered God your life? Have you offered God your life? Now, having experienced God's salvation, Jonah turns to God in thanksgiving and praise. He, he writes this wonderful psalm that we've looked at today. And he ends by vowing God his service. Jonah's life is transformed by this experience of salvation. After this, he's no longer running from God, but he serves God's purposes. He goes to Nineveh and preaches. Likewise, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, if we've truly experienced God's salvation and his, his steadfast love, then our lives will never be the same. We will be filled with such joy and thanksgiving to God in all that we do. We'll realize that our old life Dead in sin is over. We will no longer live for ourselves, but we will live for Jesus, our Lord, who laid down his life for us. We will do what he wants for his glory. For Jonah, that meant going to Nineveh to, to, to preach. For us, it means making disciples of all nations, using our time, our energy, our money, our very lives, everything that we do, to serve our Lord Jesus and to make known to others the riches of his grace and mercy and love shown at the cross. So how about you this morning? Have you recognised your desperate state? Have you experienced God's steadfast love? Have you offered God your life? As Jonah did as John Newton did, 
when he wrote that wonderful hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the amazing love and grace that you have shown us in Christ. We thank you that you sent him to, to die and rise, that we might be rescued from your judgment and restored in your service. Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive our sins. Lord, fill us with the knowledge of your steadfast love. Lord, use us in your service, for salvation belongs to the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.